0: City University Television presents the American Theatre Wing Seminars. Working in the Theatre. This seminar, producing.
1: And theater Wing seminars on working in the theater. These are coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York, located in the heart of Times Square, 42nd Street, where Broadway, Off Broadway, and Off Off Broadway theaters all meet to bring to you the magic of theater. This is a wonderful city, and every year millions of visitors come to New York to go to the Broadway Theater. They come here, and when they see theater, they bring the report of it across the country. We have theaters playing here now and their product goes out across the country and from the country, from the resident theaters and the university theaters come their product to New York in order to feed and enhance the theater. These seminars that are coming to you are an outgrowth of the Wings School. We are perhaps very well known for the Tony Award, one of the most prestigious awards in the theatre. That's the carrot. But year-round, the American Theatre Wing, as a service organization, says theatre, and services the community through the theatre. Our hospital show programs go out to shut-ins to people in private hospitals, nursing homes, and aid centers. We have a program that services young children in schools On Saturday mornings, they line up, they buy a ticket to see a live show. No child is ever turned away. And we think that that is the habit that will last with them to the rest of their lives, so that they go to the theater as a need, not just for a show that has the longest run or the best reviews. We have had seminars on the performance, on the play script and director, And today's seminar is on the producers, those people who make it possible to bring everything together, to put their knowledge, their money, and their instincts on the line to bring theater to not only New York City, but today across the world. Today's seminar is on the production A Few Good Men. And here to introduce our panelists, Gene Dalrymple, who is a member of the Board of Directors of the American Theatre Wing, has been a producer and a director, and George White, who is president of the O'Neill Foundation, who is a producer and a director. And without any ado, they're going to bring what it is to work in the theatre from the eyes of the producers and how it happens right here. Thank you for coming.
2: Thank you, and thank you, Isabel. Uh, I will start by introducing, on my uh, far right, uh, Mr. Stuart Thompson, who is the general manager of A Few Good Men, or do we want to change that to A Few Good Persons?
3: Um, There's one woman. Oh yeah, uh, Yes,
2: okay, there we are. Uh, and to my immediate right is uh, Bernard Jacobs, who is the president of the Schubert Organization. And uh, now I will turn you over to my colleague, Jean Dalrymple, who will introduce the rest thank of the panel. Thank you.
4: I have the honor of introducing the only lady on our <laughs> st- seminar, and uh, her name is <laughs> Linda Lehman, and she is representing the advertising organization that makes those wonderful ads that make us all go to see <laughs> the, the play. And it's a very important job that she has with the uh, advertising agency of Sereno Coin, Inc. And right next to me I have the man, and that's the the producer. And the producer is the one who really puts the whole thing together. And and he has been doing that for many years and very, very well. And his name is David Brown, a very well-known name. And I repeat it because I'm told that sometimes no one hears. Who the producer is, and it's David Brown again. Thank you.
2: <laughs> well, go ahead, Jean. No, go ahead. Um, I I thought we might start with the producer because there seems to be uh, historically people have always said, "What does a producer do? What do they do?" Uh, and there's a lot of myths, uh, a lot of bad jokes a lot of good jokes, actually, about that. Uh, but uh, I think, uh, if, if I may, uh, ask um, you, David, to start and tell us about what you do, and uh, even from the beginning, of uh, where do you get the script? And how do you get the script? Does somebody throw it over a transom, or uh, do you actually get it via a, uh, an agent, or how? And then take us a little bit through mm. what you do, uh, and then maybe we can go to Bernie. and and talk about how that then relates to a theater
5: well the producer is a person of many many responsibilities sometimes he or she is the person who handles the box lunches sometimes uh purely a money raiser sometimes the creative the visionary i like to think that lewis allen and i who produced a few good men are in the latter category the way it all happened (coughs) was that i i was in the and M in a motion picture producer and had no uh, inclination to go into the theater. And like many things in life, it was accidental. I, was, I saw a play titled A Few Good Men and attempted to buy the film rights. The film rights were not available because Aaron Sorkin, the playwright, said, I want a first-class theater production. And I, you, Although he was living on a cot in Soho or in the East <laughs> Village, he would not be tempted. And so I acquired the stage rights. And knowing nothing about the theater, or uh, in some cases, the movies, which is the first qualification of a producer, the, uh, he, uh, I said, who knows about the theater? It was my colleague and friend, Lewis Allen. I sent him the play. We saw a run-through, a reading of it, and I found myself in the theater. Well, we found ourselves with a play that required, what, It nine, cast of nine or... How many people do we have in our cast?
3: Twenty-one. Twenty-one, <laughs> 21
5: people, mm-hmm. an unknown playwright, an unknown play, and an ambition to go to Broadway. Uh, well, obviously, uh, we consulted. Uh, uh, we, first of all, we got Vassar and we, uh, we started this play
3: at the University of Virginia,
5: university of Virginia in Charlottesville. Cool. Lewis Allen, being a distinguished alumnus of that university, they built our set. They funded the original production we cast it, but as we were doing that, we went to Bernie Jacobs and Jerry Schoenfeld and anyone. We knew that if we had 21 actors, we needed 21 producers to finance it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the number of producers is of a few good men exceeds the cast of most plays these days by a handy number. <laughs> well, Bernie and Jerry were terrific, and I mustn't forget Centauri of Japan and Kathy Levin and so many others who, who came along and the, of course, the Kennedy Center because we went from the University of Virginia directly to the Kennedy Center. They took us on. It was very scary. We had no commitment to go to Broadway until Washington. And uh, so the, but the answer is your first question, George, is that the play came from an agent, a man named Richard Crowitz of the uh, Agency of the Performing Arts and uh, grew from there. Indeed, it did grow.
1: Uh Did did the Schubert's want to come down to (coughs) Virginia and see it before they gave you a commitment?
5: The Schubert commitment? I think Bernard could answer that. We
0: were were committed before I went to Virginia.
5: The only thing is that uh,
0: based on Virginia, we had an out as I recall. Indeed, we, you did. If we didn't like it in
5: Virginia, we could abandon uh, it at that time. And, <laughs> and yeah. I, I've neglected but to mention the most distinguished, uh, among the, uh, along with Jerry and Bernie, Robert Whitehead and Roger Stevens were uh, enormously supportive in the darkest hour. They believed in this play, as did the Schubert's, and anyone who tells you the Shubits are just thinking about money uh, doesn't know the history of a few good men. The uh, this was a, this was a pure a straight play, and uh, the idea that they would take a chance and, and give us one of their great theaters uh, was an inspiration and uh, really very instructive to me. I never thought things like this happened.
1: <laughs> what what decided you on this?
0: We liked the play. I mean, uh, what makes you decide on any play? You uh, you throw the paper, the script up and the air, and if it hits the ceiling and sticks to it, why, then you like it. <laughs> <laughs> if, it if it doesn't stick, why, then you let it fall down, and you abandon it, but uh,
2: It's stuck. You know, but,
0: uh, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, Bernie,
2: uh, that, let's go a little farther
0: with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, 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 I remember when I was back in law school, uh, they used to say, the professors did that, and if it stuck to the ceiling, you got an A, otherwise oh, right. you got some lesser grade. <laughs> and. Uh,
2: well, what what does uh, what are the kind? Of, oh, I, I know this is a really rough uh, question because there's uh, so many uh, the the disparity of works is uh, so broad. But what are the kinds of things you look for in a in a in a in a in a work that uh, influences you? And I I will reinforce uh, what David says about the Schubert organization looking for just the hits because the history of distinguished work. Uh, is is quite extraordinary. So I will say that for you, so you, you know, but but and I mean it. But uh, what what are the things that, that go through your
0: mind when you see something? Well, the first thing I think of is, is it appropriate for the Schubert Organization. I have in my own head uh, uh, what the standard should be, of what we want to produce, and uh, certainly, despite uh, what those people want to disparage us might say, if. Uh, if we don't think it has quality, we won't have anything to do with it. And this, obviously, was a play of quality by a young playwright who uh, who should be encouraged, and hopefully will write better and more plays in the future, so that uh, it was the kind of play that we should become involved in. For that reason, we did become involved in it.
4: Bravo.
1: Yeah, it's true. Were the other producers on when you went into Virginia, or did, one by one, did you bring them? Were,
5: they, were, they were on, and except, the, I, I, I think the Kennedy Center Kennedy was Center in, came in I, I want to emphasize that, again, on the creative side, the Schubert's and Bob Whitehead, for example, we had endless sessions with the playwright, who was young, I won't say stubborn, but I will say firm in his conviction, and very, and wrote very long. And it was only, not the threat of the Schubert's, but the suggestion of the Schubert's that they would not be paying for anything that was performed after 11 o'clock in the evening, (laughs) because the curtain would come down. And the — You understand what 11
0: o'clock means, don't you?
2: No, what does that mean?
0: Well, if if you — the curtain comes down at one second past 11, you are into another hour for stagehand employees. And there's an abhorrent thought to us that uh, we should ever have to pay the stagehands overtime. It's bad enough they get what they get
5: for straight time, let alone paying them overtime. <laughs> the uh, — uh, the, uh, for those of you who have seen A Few Good Men, been, there were many, many changes in the play brought on not by the producers and a very, very uh, — and an author who really was willing to work. And, uh, but starting in Virginia, it worked. it worked brilliantly, and it was a big hit in at the Kennedy Center, I think it was, for a play that was again unknown, but the, the meetings, the casting sessions, the painful replacements, and all of that went on, and the whole Odyssey of A Few Good Men is an inspiration to many people because it shows that an unknown playwright and a straight play can make it to Broadway and actually make it on Broadway.
2: Nice do it, that rem- uh, which brings up the next question that people often ask is, what does a general manager do? Uh, and, but it does in- interact, obviously, with the producer. But I think a little bit of a thumbnail sketch of, of how you relate once you get the play, uh, sure. and, and how you also work with the theatre owners and the producer
3: and all that. It depends meetings. on whether it's a good day or a bad day, really, <laughs> what I do. But pr- <laughs> the process is once a producer engages a general manager, the first thing they want is a, is a budget so they'll know what it costs. So that obviously involves studying the script pretty carefully and doing a lot of research into um, what kind — not research, but doing a lot of checking out what kind of lighting, whether it's going to be expensive lighting, whether it's going to be an expensive set, to have a guess at the operating costs, um, how many stagehands, how many actors, whether there are stars, what they'll cost. Then working with the production attorneys on the offering papers, if there are any. That's where the process begins. Um, It then goes on to uh, negotiating actors' contracts, negotiating the director's contract, even negotiating the author's contract if the producer hasn't done that prior to engaging the general manager. And uh, while the terms are pretty standard for an author's contract in terms of royalty and advance and so on, there are all sorts of other things, per diem travel, uh, what future rights the producers have and so on. Um, the working with the press agent, working with the ad agency a lot, um, through the producers, reporting back to the producers on everything that's going on. And um, once the plays opened, uh, being responsible for the accounting to the producers and the investors through the show accountant, uh, replacing actors, dealing with the casting director, trying to narrow it down to a field for the producers to come and see, the director and the author to come and see. Um, Negotiating contracts for the replacements, it never seems to end. (laughs) How do you train for this? How how, how do you learn to do this? By accident. Um, (laughs) By learning? I began as a stage manager in opera, um, and just uh, learned about the theatre from various different sides. I also worked in publicity and theatre in Australia, which is where I'm from. And I worked in management in theatre in Australia and, and here, and just picked it up along the way.
4: And when it's all about the same, isn't it, whether it's there or here?
3: Pretty much so, yes. yeah. There are more unions on Broadway than I think there are anywhere else <laughs> <laughs> to when learn you, about.
1: When you look at sets, are, are you able to determine with your knowledge that this kind of set with a revolving stage would cost that much more money, but if you did not use a revolving stage, you would not have to have that many more stage ends. And therefore, it would cut the cost and pass that knowledge on to the producers. And is that part of your job, or is that the director? Yeah, I think that's
3: part of the general manager's job, to find out what the, what mm. the director and the set designer see the set as being. Also, Often, even before there's a set designer, you can look at a script and tell whether the set's going to be an expensive set or a simple set Mm -hmm. and pass that on to the producers, Sure. I've sensed that over the last
2: even 10 or 15 years, in the old days, I think Bernie could reconfirm this, that, that the old general manager's job was to say no. (laughs) <laughs> you know, can I have? No. Uh, do you want? No. Uh, but I think there is, there seems to be a much more, uh, more interaction now, and it seems that they also come by way of being stage managers, as you did a little bit in understanding that. I want, if I may, uh, move over to Linda uh, uh, and ask, now that you've got this play, this by an unknown author, mm-hmm. um, and it's at uh, Sereno uh, Coin, uh, and you are the, if you will, the account executor Right. Executive on on this, what what do you look for? I mean, wh- where do you go? What do you do in terms of determining how you are going to, if you will, market this property?
6: This is very hard work because we don't have a star. that exactly. I mean, we oh in this case we did have a star, but we didn't have a known quantity in terms of a playwright. We had a drama that was um, was a military drama as well as a, a a mystery drama, so we tried to isolate the individual elements that might be appealing to the audience. What the agency does is really create the identity that people will see up to the point that they come to the theater. So everything that you think about a play before you get there is done is done through the advertising. So I feel my job is to make make you aware of what the play is about enough to make you want to see it. And in this particular case, we determined that the military aspect of it would be appealing to a lot of the uh, a lot of the potential audience. And we worked very closely with the producers in coming up with the, the look of the the poster, the art that would be carried along with the show. We went through all, a very funny little sort of side note. The, the girl in the, in the artwork up there, she's the only woman on stage, she's the only woman in the play. It's a few good men and one great lady, you know, that's sort of how <laughs> we looked at it. And so it was very important that her attitude in how she was relating in this drawing to the rest of these people be perceived as a tough lady, but also somewhat sensitive. So we, I think we drew her probably four or five, six times before we finally hit one that everybody liked and said, yes, that's this woman. And so even, even to that extent, we will go into, into sort of fine detail to set, the, to set the tone properly. And then the flag design came from the, from the graphic designer. He put it together with the artwork, and I think it's a, a very nice piece of art. I think you can't miss that marquee as you walk down the street. And that's, that's the image that the show has for anyone who hasn't yet seen the play. Other than that, we had Tom Hulse at the beginning, and that was a, that was a good thing for us. Um, we, we initially started with just uh, print and a little bit of outdoor. And after the show opened, we did some television.
2: Wait a minute. You said print and outdoor. Print. Would you go about oh, it? Oh, yes. Yeah, Technical uh, talk.
6: Technical mm-hmm. talk, yes. Uh, newspaper advertising in the New York Times and others. A, um, radio. We did a lot of radio at the beginning to set the tone. And we did some very nice mood-evocative radio that once again set the military tone, with a drum roll at the beginning and a, an announcer that says something like, on July 7th, such and such. You know, it was very sort of – it gave you a mysterious feeling, because we were also pushing the mystery a little bit. And, uh, and then we went into television after the opening. Right, Stuart?
5: Mm-hmm. I'd like to describe something, George. As a freshman, one of the most traumatic experiences is the advertising meeting after the opening of a play. <laughs> yeah. The Danish is out there, the coffee is out there. We're looking desperately for quotes Right. where frequently there are no quotes. And I've mentioned to Bernie Jacobs and Jerry Schoenfeld, I said, I've learned something about the theater at these meetings. There's only one good week. And that's between Christmas and New Year's if it doesn't snow. <laughs> <laughs> the worst the worst week in the year is just before the holidays, except directly after the holidays. Right, right. Then comes Lent and the Jewish holidays. Right. Then comes summer, when mm-hmm. it's either too hot or Fourth people are at the beach. And I said, Is this is this the business that we're in? Well, they said it is in a way, but you have to have a hit. You just have to have a hit. And what makes a hit is word of mouth. This all pertains to advertising, and I think it was the decision of the Schubert's and the rest of us to kick in with advertising money so that the word of mouth could come could catch up with the play. There was a cartoon in the New Yorker showing a group of producers exulting over a great Frank Rich review, obviously, and the line under the cartoon said one of the producers, said, but what will we do when the word of mouth catches up with us? <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, this show
6: had great word of mouth. That was, I mean, it was very exciting because it, wa- it was out there and it was going on that. In fact, that's why we went to the television was to to get it out faster. How, who made the decision to take
1: the money and, and have enough money for word of mouth to take on? Well, those
6: producers, you know. Yeah. Yeah. A few. Well, we made the
0: decision early on because we ran out of money that we'd have <laughs> to put in more money. I mean, and, and that's the, uh, those are the kind of decisions that separate the men from the boys in this business. I mean, you, are, you budget the show for X hundred thousand dollars and all of a sudden you find out that X is no longer there and you have to bring in Y in order to try to make the show work. And at that point in time, you either close the show, and there were, uh, was some kind of opinion that we should have done that, or you uh, continue to run the show. In this instance, the opinion was that we would uh, try to see if we could make the show work. And at that point, we were, uh, we were almost dead in the water, because uh, the reviews were not as good as we think the play deserved. We knew the word-of-mouth was good, but how do you get a word-of-mouth out there? So we elected to uh, to put in more money to spend money on uh, on the making of a television commercial and the airing of a commercial, and that's a decision that uh, that even for a little play uh, requires a commitment of a couple of hundred thousand dollars. Uh, we made that decision and we went ahead, and eventually the play found found an audience. Uh, we got back our overcall, we got back a, a little more money over that. Will we ever recoup?
3: It's possible. <laughs> yeah,
0: sure.
1: <laughs> I like the big smile.
3: <laughs> There's um, well, one thing uh, that David hasn't mentioned is that um, there is a film sale on this play. There's going to be a great movie based on this play. I'm convinced of it. It's.
5: Um,
1: but isn't that when, when when you said you made this decision? Isn't that we're a a, a an organization that has long been uh, in producing has the money to go ahead with this, whereas the things that we're seeing now with new producers coming on and getting just enough money to hold them for opening night, and if it is not a rave review they haven't any reserve and they can't wait for a word of mouth. Uh,
0: well, uh, that depends upon whether or not a play is properly budgeted. <coughs> if you properly budget a play, you don't run out of money after the opening. You, uh, you have a substantial reserve there in order to... Uh, to fight the reviews if they're adverse or to uh, promote the show even if you have good reviews because sometimes good reviews do not necessarily make an audience mm-hmm. uh... this play was uh... was budgeted appropriately but uh... but we ran out of money anyway because of the fact that uh, the play did not do as well as we thought it would do in its various venues so at that point in time the decision was made. Do you close the show now, or do you put up additional money? We made the decision to put up additional money. Now, very often, that's a foolhardy decision, and in this incident, proved to be the correct decision.
2: Well, that's a, that's a tough one to make. And I know – I mean, Gene, you've been a, a producer, and you know, too. Uh, but you have had experience, and, and Bernie, you have, too. I think – and it came up uh, in, in a recent seminar. Uh, uh, that there are a lot of people who are not experienced, I mean, right. are, are in another,
4: mm-hmm.
2: you know, experienced in some other line of work, and call themselves producers.
4: Well, Man of La Mancha was done by inexperienced producers, and it was dying, and it was going to die, but the mother of the author uh, put up the money to keep it going. <laughs> and it became a <laughs> tremendous <much remember, so. laughs> We go back to let's take what you mentioned on the
1: budget. We take a figure a hundred percent and and break that down and, and uh, can you do that in, in this unbusinesslike business like business of what percentage goes for advertising, what percentage goes right down the line? Can you Well Stewart
0: can answer that? Do you want to probably do that? Best, but the it end- quickly of but, taking
1: it a a and breaking it down to show us where the monies go to make it
0: I was going to say, before he does that, I mean, (laughs) if he's appropriately prepared a budget, all of these items are covered in the budget, and uh, if the budget, again, is appropriate, there's an adequate reserve to cover contingencies, and if all of that is
3: done, why, then you don't run out of money.
1: What's the biggest item in the budget?
3: Generally, well, in the few good men budget, the biggest item was the reserve, from memory. Mm-hmm. Um, in a few, Once we opened a few good men, we had preview losseses, preview losses budgeted, and we did have s- reasonably substantial preview losses, which most shows do unless they have a built in star or a built in appeal. Um, we then got to o- and we were under budget in other areas we then got to the day after opening with I think about one hundred and eighty thousand in reserve, if my memory serves me correctly, but that wasn 't. I think uh, the television commitment the producers made was about Mm $180,000. So had we used the reserve for the television commitment, there would have been nothing to sustain the losses that can happen in the first couple of weeks of a play. So if my memory serves me correctly, that's why the producers made the decision to put in extra money for the TV campaign, um, of which we only used 50% of their commitment. Because after about the third week on Broadway, we started to make money each week. Um, I think right up to around Christmas week Mm -hmm. we started to make money each week. Um, The conventional wisdom, and maybe Linda can answer this about what percentage goes to advertising, is that if you're opening a play that doesn't have stars, doesn't have a built-in appeal that will pre-sell it, you try not to spend too much on advertising before you open, because chances are it won't increase the ticket sales dramatically. Once You try to save the advertising for money once it has opened, and you want to spread either the reviews or the word of mouth, or get people to know about the play. So I think prior to — But you had
6: a fairly short preview period also. We had only about two weeks of previews,
3: because we'd been out of town for six weeks. So um, on A Few Good Men, I think on a $780,000 budget, we probably only spent $40,000 for advertising before we opened.
4: So
0: one of the factors here in advertising Mm is producers are always criticized by actors, by creative people, you, why aren't you advertising this show? Why aren't yeah. you spending more money on advertising? But uh, today, <coughs> a full-page ad in the Sunday Times, which is generally considered to be the prime place to advertise, cost with mechanicals close to $50,000. Yeah. And $50,000, if you budgeted a play for, uh, for say, five hundred dollars $600,000, which is a pretty good budget for a small play like this. Well, you each time you run one of those ads, you're spending 10 percent of your budget. It's a lot of money, so you've got to be very careful about how you spend your advertising dollars. And if your advertising dollars do not result in ticket sales, at least equal to what you spent on advertising, why, well, then you're a very foolish person.
2: <laughs> what at what I mean, uh, somebody? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> picking up on that, uh, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, Gene, you mentioned La Mancha and being in trouble, and, and I don't know, uh, we talked about the, the, uh, judicious decision to, to, to go a little farther. Um, what happens, what goes, how do you then, let's say a play is in trouble, but you believe in it, and let's forget for a moment, a few good men, but in general, what goes through people's minds, uh, uh, the producers, and how do you, what, what do you go to, to try to save a situation if you believe in the play?
4: Well, you go to the Schuberts if you know
2: them. <laughs> 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 okay, fair enough. <laughs>
4: well, I, I
1: think as, as David knows, in in publishing there is a a, a motto that uh, uh, you can you can't you can't start a fire, but you can fan a flame. That's it. And that's it. If you if, if cut if if it's not there, but if you find a nugget there and there is a bit. As in A Few Good Men, that word of mouth began coming in. But you the, have to have the, the enough knowledge there to know it's going to be there. Uh,
5: if you have an advance, if you have a pre-sold property, either in the theater or in uh, publishing or in movies, you build up a considerable advance, and that, that advance brings enough people to the theater either to condemn the play for future theater goers or to give you an opportunity to get through that period a few good men had virtually no advance i don't recall when they used to it and therefore from no. day <laughs> from Did day there 1 were there
1: were no group sales no? none and from
5: day 1 we <coughs> were living Why was that? we were yes. living on our own fat which was very little <laughs> and we had no well because we didn't have uh, i don't know what the group sales well, i think
3: there were two reasons we didn't have substantial group sales one was uh, again what linda said about what the ad agency mm-hmm. faced we had a an unknown play, playwright, unknown director. Tom Hulse is certainly a star, but I'm uh, he, a
6: lot of other
3: things. I'm not sure that was enough to sell groups. Also, also, the decision to make, because of the timing of the show, we were two weeks at the University of Virginia in September, mm-hmm. four weeks in Washington in October, and the decision to bring the show into New York wasn't made until after it opened in Washington. So mm-hmm. we would have been in the position of spending money before we knew the play mm-hmm. was even coming into New York on group sales, work.
1: How do you get group sales? How does that come about? If They have a star, I understand it, but apart from that, do you audition? Is there, is there, any, is there a market that group representatives of group sales go to?
0: Well, yeah. the group sale people think mm. that they know what's going to be the hit all the time, and they primarily sell to their groups and to their parties, those shows, which they think are going to be easy for the groups and parties to sell and make money on. They are not the least bit interested in fostering the art form by (laughs) trying to get uh, people to uh, buy tickets to shows they don't necessarily want to see. So that uh, Miss Saigon will open with, uh, I don't know, maybe 30-some-odd million. I think we have 30-some-odd million now, a play like uh, and maybe it'll pick up another 10 million between now and the opening. On the other hand, a uh, play like A Few Good Men will open with an advance of 75, $100,000. Mm-hmm. And that's not, uh, that's not one week's capacity to start with. And, you know, the history of plays, of serious theater, either on Broadway or off Broadway, is that you really have to motivate people to go to see them. They, uh, they want to go to see comedies, they want to go to see musicals, but straight... Straight plays uh, uh, on a serious subject matter. What the devil? I want to. I want to go out and enjoy myself. I don't want to. Uh, I, I don't want to be lectured to. I don't want to be. Uh, I don't. I don't want to learn anything in the theater. I. Uh, I go to the theater and have a good time. Unfortunately, too many people think that way.
1: But fortunately, you can do both. Mm-hmm.
6: You know. Mm-hmm. Where does the press agent come in? Do you work with the press agent? In- we, work, we sort of work in tandem, but I, I really can't speak for them because that's, I mean, it, we're sort of both function, functions that move the audience to, to see the show. We do the, the paid portion, they do the portion that comes from the press.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, as an old press agent, I'll tell you. <laughs> you, you find somebody in the cast who is interesting and has an interesting story and you use all of your efforts to get that person on the air and to be interviewed and to get that story if possible in the Sunday Times and in that way you sometimes get people to go to see a very serious play with a very interesting actor in it and I did that in many, many cases and really turned the play around. And I think that if there is one interesting person in that cast, you can do it.
2: You never thought Tom of very um, good, I
4: mean, selling
2: this as Mozart and Tom Holtz as mm-hmm. a Marine? You can, you can, that that might have worked. <laughs> Everything you heard <laughs> yeah, was well, yes, <laughs> yes, yes.
4: absolutely. Maybe uh, he had some wonderful experiences that would well, almost well, he, he make did do a lot of... of
3: yeah. Yeah.
5: We wrote yeah, our own through. quotes, Dean, for right, a while. Yeah. I think it was Jerry Schoenfeld who said, the best courtroom drama since the Kane mutiny court-marshall. We said, Jerry, but that who said that? And he said, I said, I said that. that. <laughs> and uh, then finally, somebody did say that. Yeah. So so we, we we got that. But uh, it starts with the authority of print. It's so interesting what you say. Because, wouldn't you say also that today we don't have the kind of people writing set for those who might remember, Alexander Walker or Walter yeah. Winchell, right. could make a play in defiance of critics. I mean, they would just yes, And we, we do have some well, wonderful people. Right, Liz too. Smith does yes, a Scott great does. job, so, yes. but that, they're very important to, yeah. to a play.
1: Yes. I'd like to go back again to the producers. We've You've got the property. You had the agent submit it, and you thought it was very good, and, and you've got Jerry and Bernie interested in it what is the role of the other producers that then came in and how did they come in and why
5: well they came in because we lewis allen and i
1: right.
5: invited them we mm-hmm. sent them the play we beseeched what, them we did what uh jean What Dalrympe was each one's
1: role how did they did the they same. sit in on making the decision
5: to the degree that they wished to wouldn't you say mm-hmm. yeah. in the case of robert whitehead uh, to an extraordinary degree and lewis allen and i but that, uh, Bob Whitehead, in a way, wouldn't, I think, spearheaded, you know, the, the author. thing. He had a great belief in the play. Both Bernie and Jerry attended readings for actors had and many comments.
1: And decisions then were made at these meetings Absolutely, the whole, right?
5: absolutely. And no decision was made without a kind of consensus.
0: We had a very democratic group. Yes. <laughs> Remarkably
5: so. I would think so. And also a very congenial group.
2: Well, the producer always, uh, of course, is as we've alluded to here all along the way. uh, The the um, uh, specter of uh, and the exigencies of economics play a tremendous part in here. More and more, I guess it always has. But um, And, of course, we know that, that uh, as, as you said, Bernie, the, the prices are extraordinary now. Uh, when you said $50,000 for an ad, I can re- even remember the days when that was what you put on an off-Broadway show for, yeah. for the cost of an ad uh, in, in The, the Times. Um, also, do you uh, have — because of the, uh, the other side of the economics is the impact of a show like uh, *A Few Good Men* uh, running on Broadway, what that does for the uh, city of New York and all of the concomitant parts of any kind of um, filter effect with restaurants and hairdressers and everybody else—does um, the city of New York help you with this because
0: of the uh, New York, uh, because of that uh, uh, impact well, of the arts? Well, the city helps us by landmarking art theaters in such a way so that they make it more difficult for us to function. Uh, they <laughs> help us by always threatening to, uh, to tax us in one way or another. Uh, they help us by, uh, uh, I guess generally, by being about as uncooperative as any municipality can be. I mean, particularly in the Koch years, going back to Lindsay, Lindsay at least loved the theater and always came to the theater. Uh, Mayor Koch, uh, I don't think I saw him in the theater twice, during his eight years as mayor. But he saw uh, a few good men. He did. <laughs> did, uh, yeah. did uh, does, it, does the theatre... Uh, it, it, I, I, um, the thea- I think... The theatre, in my opinion, is New York's greatest resource. It's a thing that separates New York from every other city in the world, with the possible exception of London. And uh, it should be treated as if it's a, a precious piece of property. But unfortunately, uh, in this day of shortage of money, all governmental agencies, uh, the theater is looked upon by the city, and I guess by the state and the federal government too, as, how do we get some money out of those fellows in order to reduce our tax burden? I mean, uh, it used to be that uh, when people bought tickets to the theater on their federal tax return, they could deduct the cost of the tickets as was for business expense. You now can only do that for a portion of the price of the ticket, and how they apportion it, God only knows, is always subject to audit. And obviously, uh, as government uh, will desire to get more money, it will increase that percentage that—or decrease the percentage that will be deductible. So that uh, unless unless we—we're we're not looking for subsidies, but we, uh, we do want help in terms of the fact that we do not want to be faced with— uh, Uh, with adverse taxing situations. We do not want to be faced with with the lack of appropriate police protection and all the other things that we need. We are over-regulated, overtaxed, and uh, And to a large extent, (laughs) underappreciated.
4: I I think that… Isabel, London now is making a big uh, attempt to get money from their government. It's been all over the papers for the last few days. They say that the London theater will die unless the government helps them well, to subsidize I them, actually.
1: I, I think that uh,
4: <coughs> theater owners
1: and theater producers who have been in this business for a long time do not use the clout that they have yeah. with the city. I think it is so important to be more forceful than you are with, with what it is that you give the city. I, you know, we t- you talk about taxes and you talk about hotels and restaurants, but the periphery, the money that goes around the city. Nobody has ever asked me, you know, what's on, in Bloomingdale's windows, but they want to know what's playing on Broadway or off-Broadway, and then they will go to Bloomingdale's, and they right. will go to Saks, they will go to the, to the institutions around the theatre. And I think that's where your your importance and your power comes into the city. And I don't think it's been organized or used well, if you forgive me, from <laughs> this end of our, our from the American Theatre Wing, but I care about the theatre and I care about the community. And I think it's important that our government is made more aware of the contribution of the theatre to, to the city. And, and that's, I, I think organization is the answer for it otherwise we ought to threaten to succeed from New York City. Like go out to Hollywood, mm-hmm. you know, and then they'll bring us back, they'll woo everybody back mm-hmm. with great treatments and great, you know, stipends and things. Let's go on to the producer after yeah, that. The,
2: the <laughs> we're the off the subject. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about uh, this uh, in, in the last uh, seminar, uh, of the role, how the, how the I alluded to it earlier, how the role of the producer has shifted uh, a little bit over the years, and we were talking about people like uh, Kermit Plumgarden and, and uh, Herman Schumlin and people mm-hmm. like this, who really uh, were very much into the, uh, the script and, and were almost – and I, I imagine, again, economics played a part, but they were very, very strongly not necessarily one-man bands, but they were pretty much czars mm-hmm. yeah. uh, as, as producers. Um, is this mitigated by the fact that, that there 's so much money necessary that uh, and there 's such a uh, amount of money needed to you, you had to have to get more people and therefore it becomes more of a committee than it used to be is that the reason
4: that 's true and uh, you know there 's talking about fifty thousand dollars for an ad and fifty thousand dollars for an off Broadway play. I put on Broadway plays for fifty thousand dollars, and they were completely mine. They were, uh, the money was all either from me and my friends, no one else. So it belonged to us, and we could do what we liked about it. today, you go out and you have 14 partners, and I think that's very difficult for the theater.
5: Wasn't it, it, if I may say so, in the case of A Few Good Men, we were extremely fortunate. There was no interference uh, by a, you know, committee, even though we were a large number, most of it was we worked with the director i don't think we ever vetoed anything except length Mm -hmm. and we really Mm -hmm. listened uh, listened very carefully and in some cases we we were in favor of of selecting an actor and the director didn't want that actor and later he he had to replace and get the actor that we originally wanted Mm -hmm. but in the case of a few good men it was line by line vetting of the play script. We were fortunate in that we didn't have a star playwright. We were were not in a situation where he could dictate to us so that he learned something and we learned something. We were very fortunate. But when I think back at those great Mm -hmm. producers who really, including yourself uh, and Dwight Deer Wyman and Gilbert Miller and so many, uh, they had complete control. We don't have control of our actors because the theatre is not a, a way to make a living for an actor compared, unfortunately, to television what and film. What do you film.
1: think You don't have control as a producer? The actor,
5: it is very yeah. difficult to get a run-of-the-play contract mm-hmm. with an actor. You can only hang on to that
3: person. It, with the turnover in A Few Good Men is, what would you estimate it? Well, actually, we've been lucky. It's been fairly low. We've but, had uh, two stars in the lead role, Tom Hulse and Tim Busfield. Did um, you
1: know that was going to happen when you opened the
3: there? Well, Tom Hulse had signed a six-month contract, oh, and it was yeah. actually quite a battle with his agents to get him yeah. to sign for six months. Yes, that's a It's that's the love of the fun. theater that, that
5: motivates yeah. actors mm-hmm. to stay in the theater when they can earn a great deal of money yeah. elsewhere, mm-hmm. wouldn't you say? And, and we've been fortunate to have an ensemble play that did not depend wholly. And matter of fact, there's been very little difference in the box office, uh, you know, with cast changes.
4: I'm want to go say on a word with for with your act- replacements. I want to know how many replacements you. have. Isabel, just to offset that the uh, money thing, there are many, many actors who will, will do plays for uh, no money the way they used to do for me at City center. Mm-hmm. You know, I had uh, people like Tallulah Bankhead, who was getting 5,000 a week, who came to city center and worked for 65 dollars a week, and I paid or made a 100. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
4: she, she wanted to play a streetcar a named Desire and she came and did it and Charlton Heston came from California where he was getting I don't know half a million a picture and worked for $65 a week because he wanted to do Mr. Roberts well, but I of course that
1: was piece. for, so you for get two the properties weeks the that will intrigue the person, the star yeah.
3: but how many have you had <coughs> um, we're we're on to, really, our second generation mm-hmm. of cast. As we approach our first anniversary, we've had two lots of six-month contracts expire, and the majority of the cast are renewing beyond the second six months. Um, Ron Perlman is now playing the role of at which Stephen Lang originated. Stephen was in it six months. Ron will have been in it almost six months now. Um, he may renew, we're, we're not sure yet.
1: So, they buy tickets to see A Few Good Men, the show,
6: not yes. the star that's in the well, we don't want to say no, that. No, we, they, not, they want to Our stars are the yeah. thing. Well, because there, there are fan clubs, and that, sure. that sort of thing mm-hmm. is a part of it, too. But this show has taken on its own identity, and it is the show in total. If it has stars in it, also, that's nice. That's good, but it's not – I mean, people are coming to see the story.
5: They're coming to see the performances, wouldn't you say, to too, and back, that's where... Oh, that's yes. that's right. go back yes. to the, the,
1: the production of it, you, you said that you had a, a movie sale, uh, a film sale yes. for A Few Good Men. Does that money then go into a pot of all oh, the Oh, yes. How, how is that handled?
5: Well, the, the, uh, the proceeds of the sale of the film rights go to the author and, then to, and to the investors of the play. Mm-hmm. And I think, a proportion of, what, 40, 60? Yeah,
3: it's 50, under the Dramatist Guild contract, um, new contract, 50 uh, percent of the film sale goes to the production entity and the author retains 50 percent. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that, and it actually, uh, and
5: under the deal, since I, I negotiated the, the deal for the film rights before I knew it was going to be a play, uh, the we also get a weekly sum, and under the uh, film deal a certain amount of money is paid for each profitable week, into the, which goes to the author and to the, to the uh, proprietors of the play. The, uh, everyone always says, what happens to a play when the movie gets on? Well, some plays have survived the movies. I, I, I give you a chorus line, which, uh, which came and went long after the, and the play. The Sound of Music, oddly enough, a great hit. Survived the play in London, and uh, in this instance, we have a remarkable uh, auspices for the movie Castle Rock Entertainment through Columbia Pictures. I'm one of the I'm producer actually, and uh, Rob Reiner will be the director. Mm-hmm. I rather think
1: mm-hmm.
5: great director. But this is some time in the future, and will not impede the immediate. Uh,
1: uh, Before that. Will you be going on the road? Will you travel with a few men we planning a tour yes. for
3: 91, 92 at the moment. Mm-hmm. It's in the planning stages, but there <laughs> seems to be a lot of interest.
1: And how will that be handled? Will, will you take that on, and, and or, or is it the Schu- going to Schubert Theaters?
3: Mm-hmm. Or? <laughs> we'll, You're uh, not going to commit yourself.
1: We'd like <laughs> to
3: go to as many Schubert Theaters as will have mm-hmm. us. But... Mm-hmm. Um, Probably we'll work with a, with a booking agency. Um, there are a number of agencies which book road tours, Columbia Artists, Road Works, and so on. And so they, in effect, act as the production's agent to make the bookings.
1: Are they independent of the producers in, the, in New York City that have produced the show?
3: Well, they in fact, if, if the tour happens, probably it would be produced by the New York producers who would hire the booking agency to I be see. its agent. Mm-hmm. On the road. Linda, do you do all the packaging for that? Do, do it, d- it
6: totally depends. It does. If, if we're asked to do so, we certainly do. Sometimes it isn't a part of it, it, d- it just depends we on the have, deal. Um,
3: Our office has True on the Road at the moment, which was a play that ran last season on Broadway, and now it's uh, out on a national tour, and Serena Coyne did the advertising for that. And they supply all the advertising materials for the road.
6: Depends on what the producer wants. Mm -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm.
6: And this is the
1: independent producer uh, that took through, Alan? No. No, it's the New York producers, (laughs) of
3: which David is one and Lewis Allen is another. Mm -hmm. But we work with a booking agency which knows the road, and they they make the bookings. Um, But we provide the show, and Stewart negotiates the onerous terms.
5: <laughs> Speaking of, of that,
2: the, uh, there is—or uh, oh, not—not really of, of onerous terms at all. But I, I wanted to uh, ask Bernie a little bit about. Uh, there has been a shift. I, I remember when uh, when you and, and Jerry really uh, became the quote Schuberts unquote, uh, and the uh, the change really has happened. Uh, in the, since I think you have been at the helm, uh, where in the old days a theatre owner, am I right, was primarily a theatre owner and didn't really get uh, – and, and really, almost like a rental of a – but you people are, have always been very much uh, involved with the artistic part of it as well. Is that, isn't that true? And isn't
0: this a shift in the last, let's say, twenty years or so? Well, we, we believe we have diametrically, uh, dramatically uh, changed the uh, the way theatres uh, participate in production, in other words, uh, whereas uh, uh, before us, it was typical that the theatre got its rent, God knows what, and uh, if the theatre didn't get its rent, why then you close the show? Uh, we have worked out all kinds of uh, deals in which the theatre participates in the success of the show, and also participates to a lesser extent in the failure of the show, because it, it should be primarily the producer's risk as to whether or not the show is or is not successful. So uh, we, we, we have changed the, the terms under which most theaters are booked, and there also has been a dramatic change, or uh, change underway, in which even the royalties of the royalty participants are becoming more and more uh, in a instead of in direct percentages of gross, they are also becoming participants in whether or not, uh, th- in the money that's earned, in excess of what it cost for the raw cost of running the show. And uh, really, to pay royalties or to pay a theatre rent out of the, uh, the budget of the, the production budget uh, is, in our opinion, manifestly unfair. So uh, we have been advocating, both for ourselves and for other royalty participants, that their share should be based upon the money that's earned in excess of the direct costs of the labor that goes into the show on a weekly basis. So to that extent, we have uh, have changed the conditions under which theatre booking contracts are negotiated to a large extent. But we also have, uh, have changed uh, with the participation of most of the unions, and the only holdout we've had has been the ssd which is the Directors and Choreographers Union, and we are in the process of negotiating a new agreement with them, under which they will <coughs> join in the various formulas under which we present shows. How do so the
1: unions operate, the unions and guilds, when they, n- when they make an agreement with one group of theater owners? Does that apply to all?
0: Oh, yes. There's uh, a—there are very few unions that have national contracts. Most of them have—you have a separate stagehands union in Boston, Philadelphia, New York, and Washington, and every other locality all over the country. And the same thing is true with— with most of the other people work in the theatre, except the managers work on a national contract, the actors work on a national contract, and of course, whatever agreement you have with the Drama's Guild is national. Other than that, uh, everything else is done on a city-by-city basis, and costs will vary from city to city, just as the expenses of labor, in order to, uh, uh, to support themselves, vary from city to city.
1: Do you think that the minimum wages that have been settled by guilds and unions are, in part um, the reason for the <coughs> rising cost in tickets, theater tickets?
0: Well, let's put it this way. In my day, you went into the subway for a nickel. What is it now, fifteen. Mm-hmm. That's a, uh, a th- a, a, an increase of 23 times. Now, theater tickets, from, uh, from the very bottom to where they are today, they've only increased about a multiple of 10 or 11. And I think if you take most most items of expense in our society, I remember when you bought a loaf of bread for nine cents. Uh, you, today you pay a dollar for the same loaf of bread, and maybe it's not as good as it was when you paid yeah, nine cents you, for you it.
1: You could eat a loaf of bread and, and, and stuff your stomach. You didn't have to have the meat and the potatoes with it. When you uh, buy a theater uh, ticket, there's so much more that goes into it. There's, you know, the dinner and, and, and the babysitter and, and the parking and all of the things, because it makes it terribly expensive to go to the theatre, and yet there are a lot of people that want to go.
0: Well, the answer again is that if you want to buy a ticket to Phantom of the Opera, they're very hard to find. And if you'll call any of the brokers in Jersey who advertise in the New York Times and in other periodicals and tell you you want Phantom tickets, call a number, and you will find that they are asking ten times and getting. (coughs) ten <coughs> times what we get at the box office. Now, there's something outrageous about that, that, uh, that, that people in New Jersey who have no connection with the theater mm-hmm. are making 90 percent of the cost of their tickets, and we, on the other hand, are uh, coming very close to breaking even between the cost of what we present and the price of the tickets. We so d- that it's... Uh, no, but I don't it, think
1: we can have those few people out there only come into the theater on on that enormous amount of money that they're willing to spend. And then you have the smaller play, the few good men, who will not attract that kind of money. And somewhere there has to be a happy medium in there where we can get the people into the theater at the cost of a ticket that will not say it's a great big event. On this point, we have to take a break right now and come back uh, for questions, and I hope that you will be ready for it. The reason I brought up the ticket price was that that's what is constantly being asked in in our seminars is, why the cost of the ticket? We can't afford to go
0: to the theatre anymore. So please
1: take a break and then come right back.
0: Let me me just give you some figures to justify the cost of tickets. I think we have to stop at this point.
1: Save it for when we come back. Everybody, stand up, take a glass, do whatever you want, but come back.
2: This is CUNY TV,
0: the City University of New York.
1: We're continuing on the American Theatre Wing seminars on working in the theatre. And these seminars are coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. Today's seminar is on the production. The people who make it all take place and make it all happen, so that the theatre is that magic world that you come to, and there is nothing else like it. Today's seminar is on the production of A Few Good Men. And we have the people that have made it possible and represent the people behind them who have worked with them to make this possible. George White and Gene Dalrymple will continue as co-moderators of this seminar on the production.
2: Thank you, Isabel. I wanted to pick up where we left off uh, with uh, Bernie Jacobs talking about uh, the, um, the realities of production uh, which relate to the costs. Uh, for instance, of uh, the different uh, union scales. Would you run it down for us a little bit, Bernie, about, for instance, what do, what do stagehands get? What do they get for overtime? Gene mentioned that, too. We talked about 11 o'clock, what happens after 11 o'clock. How many unions are involved in your, uh, let's say, a Few Good Men, in that production? And then we'll go on to the, to the musicians as well later well, on. Well,
0: maybe let me ask that question. Answer that question my way.
3: Okay.
2: (laughs) All right?
0: Fine. (laughs) Please. Uh, We go back to, what was it, 1958, My Fair Lady was produced. CBS put up all the money, and the production cost $300,000. And they got their money back in ten weeks. Uh, Cameron McIntosh is going to do Miss Saigon. It will cost in excess of $10 million. And he's lucky if he gets his money back in more than a year with a hit show, which will never have an empty seat during that whole period of time. Uh, Fiddle on the Roof cost, few, five years later, cost five hundred thousand dollars. And they also got their money back in around ten or eleven weeks. The economics of the theatre have reached a point where the costs have gone up, and the time in which you can recoup in a high-risk business has been extended four, five and six times. Uh, we did the Jerome Robbins show, for example, which cost in excess of ten million dollars. Uh, during the run in New York, we did not recoup, a run of close to a year and year and three quarters, and hopefully with a, with a tour in Japan, with everything else, we may be fortunate enough to get our money back. So the economics – and that's with a $60 ticket. The economics are such that ticket prices are going to go up. Uh, George talked about stagehands. When I came into this business, the base wage for a stagehand was around $90 a week.
1: How long ago was that?
0: Well, it got back around fifty-seven, fifty-six. Okay. Uh, today the the base wage is the base wage of all the people in the theater is climbing up towards one thousand dollars a week. Equity set the standard uh, with the base wage in its last contract of nine hundred dollars. They were aiming for a thousand, but of course now they 've just deferred their desire to get a thousand by a few years but it isn 't just the thousand dollars it 's also that when uh, if you go back uh, thirty years, you do not have these benefit programs which cost you. Which means that, in addition to the wages that you pay for pension and welfare and Social Security and all the other things that cost money, you've got to add another thirty-five or forty percent to the wages. So if you're paying a thousand dollars a week, you're really paying fourteen hundred dollars a week. When you multiply that by a large cast, you're talking about a lot of money. So people always ask, will theatre ticket prices go down? Theater ticket prices will go down when the cost of labor goes down, and there's as much chance of that happening as there is of uh, the cow jumping over the moon. I mean, it's just not going to happen. But you also have to remember that if you go back far enough, uh, back in the thirties when the Roosevelt administration caused a minimum wage and hour law to be passed, the minimum wage was established at forty cents an hour, and more than half the American labor force received compulsory wage increases because of the fact that most of them were making less than sixteen dollars a week. So uh, things have changed dramatically, not, not just in cost, but in the cost of everything. The subway in New York used to be a nickel, now $1.15. So theatre tickets have not risen any more than the price of any other commodity. As a matter of fact, uh, according to most of the statistics we have, theatre ticket prices have risen less than most of the competing commodities.
2: Well, a crew on a show, for instance, uh, also can be uh, you negotiate uh, don 't you uh, the amount of crew, so that affects the the cost of a
0: production uh, well, the cost of well actually, depending upon how good management is, management will either have a, a larger the union is always looking to enhance the number of men employed on any show, and good management is uh, trying to keep the number of men down to what they believe it should be there 's a, a a whole host of union practices which enhance the uh, number of men employed, you understand that there are three different working departments, property, electric, and carpenter. Now if, if you bring a show in and you are not going to touch the electrics, uh, or you're going to start hanging the electrics first, and there's nothing for the other two departments to do until the electrics are hung. For five days, you'll be paying the other people, even though they'll only sit around the theatre, or maybe not even be in the theatre. But you have to pay them, because once you start the take-in, you have to employ the entire crew. So when you get involved in a show that, uh, like Starlight Express, which has a four or five-month take-in, the take-in course for stagehand labor alone can approach seven figures just for the taken. Now, when you go back to when Jean used to produce shows, she tells you she used to produce a play for fifteen or twenty or twenty five thousand dollars. no such thing today I mean, the fifteen thousand dollar play now will cost six hundred and fifty seven hundred fifty thousand dollars
1: Is there any way of a producer negotiating with the unions involved to say that this comes in on this day, and then we do not need the carpenters until five days later or whatever until two weeks later if you are knowledgeable and logical about this, is there no way of having the response from the unions more responsible?
0: Once you you have two departments on under the rules, you have to employ the three departments. And just to give you a story, I've been in communist China, I've been in communist Russia. They have the same rules. (laughs) The same rules, I've asked them. They have the same feather-bedding rules, if you want to call them feather-bedding rules, that we have here. you you as I remember in China asking uh, house electrician if there's no work in your department and there's lots of work in their department, talking to the carpenter and the uh, and uh, the uh, where was i uh, the carpenter and the prop uh, department yeah. there's no work in their department will they help you in your department back the no, no question they, <laughs> they just won 't do it so that uh, Uh, You you have these rules. These rules are encrusted in our society. They are not local rules in New York. They are national rules. They apply all over the world, really. They're almost international rules. The likelihood of changing them — we try to change them all the time — but the likelihood of being successful is less than good.
1: What happens in Japan? Do you find the same thing, David? You, uh, would, you I
5: haven't know? been involved in a the theater in you Japan, so what Bernie says Bernie, is uh, — Bernie.
1: Is that true in Japan, too? What about the, the — I, I, I really am not
5: uh, familiar with
0: the particular rules in Japan. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been there, but I, I really
1: haven't I just haven't investigated that.
0: But I do believe that their course are — look, we are, we are sending Jerome Robbins Broadway to Japan. Mm-hmm. And the cost of presenting the show is going to be every bit as much as it's going to as it would be in America. The only thing about Japan is that the Japanese recognize what the costs are, and they're willing to pay $100 and $150 for a theatre ticket. How large are the theatres? The theatres the same size as ours.
2: Mm-hmm. All right. I can answer one thing from about my Russia. experience in, in Russia and China is that it is true what you say about the, the, the crews on shows. The only difference is at least the New York crew does tend to do their job and do it very, very well. What I've found, uh, and this is, is, is uh, amazing, when you have a guaranteed employment as you do, uh, these people are paid uh, f- 52 weeks a year, uh, there's a great deal of, of people who are literally missing in action. Uh, I remember a tech rehearsal in in Beijing, where literally half of the people weren't there because they didn't feel like coming that day, which is (laughs) instant, uh, you know, ulcer. Mm. Uh, But uh, Mm. at least the New York crews, when you do have them, they they are there and they are working. but it is true. Is this true of, of 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 musical too, Bernie? I mean, does that does that only grow by the amount of the uh, of the musicians that same those same kind of figures of let's say thirteen fifteen hundred dollars a week when you add the benefits? But uh,
0: th- basically, basically, all the unions follow the pattern. Uh, the the stagehand contract will come up first, and the others will come along and they'll want the, the, they'll want the same base wage. And there's 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 a pattern and uh, uh, labor costs in my day in the theatre, have increased by at least a thousand percent. Mm. And, uh, and there's, as long as the cost of commodities keeps going up, as long as they have to – look, look I, I, don't, I don't know how many of you can remember, but, uh, but, but I remember when, uh, uh, as I say, when the Subway was a nickel, when a pound of butter was twenty-some-odd cents, when a dozen eggs was twenty-some-odd cents. When a pound of meat was a quarter? Mr. All, these, all these things have escalated 10, 12 times. What makes you think the theatre tickets won't escalate by the same number? No.
1: I, there's something missing there that I do not
0: understand.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I
2: don't. Yeah. Let's go back to A Few Good Men. Yeah. Uh, I w- if I may, I'd, I'd like <clears> to, uh, because it, it, although th- uh, this is working in the theatre, and uh, we don't want to uh, use that uh, uh, that four-letter word, uh, film, too much here. But, uh, uh, but how, does, uh, how do you function, which should be, I think, interesting, as a producer in the theatre uh, as opposed to a, uh, a film producer? How does, how does that work? What do you
5: notice? It's the same there? way. It the, the producer's main responsibility, as I see it, is to identify the story, and then to assemble those people, writers, in the theatre. The only difference in the theatre is that the play comes to you fully written. Whereas in film and in television, writers are for hire and they will work on scripts, but you pay them. The theater, you get a play fully realized as far as the playwright is concerned. The other functions are the same. The film producer must find the money. He uh, or she must uh, be, very, be present on the set, be involved in the rewrites, be involved with the director, be involved in casting, in all of those things. And unfortunately, the same union requirements and production are there, escalated. I mean, on a recent film in New York City, for example, the cost of drivers was a $1,600,000 during the period of production. Those are just people who transport actors and, and, and other, other members of the crew. And uh, as you all know, movie prices have gone up in cities like New York to $7 from 25 cents when I first went to movies. The uh, the position of film versus theater is interesting. In my own experience, I've been buying film rights—that is, to stage plays—for 40 years, and uh, the uh, and it's often, I think, gentlemen and ladies will agree, it's the film sale that is often the difference between profit and loss. Except for these gargantuan musicals uh, that, like Phantom and, and, and others, but. It's the difference. And and in selecting a play as a theater producer, I think about whether it has potential for film. Now, certain plays don't. For example, True is obviously a one-person show, and to open it up, so to speak, would be to destroy it. So that the Hollywood is very much part of the American and world theater. It's always been a partner in it, and as Bernie, CBS, for example, totally financed My Fair Lady. And,
1: uh, Do you intend staying in the theatre?
5: Absolutely.
1: <laughs>
5: actually, More
2: congenial, I might say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, actually, that, and this is uh, really uh, where scripts come from, but uh, Linda, at our break, uh, indicated an interesting theory, which I wish you'd tell everybody, about the drop of real estate values. If it goes down, what's oh. going to happen?
6: Well, I, I just thought that if you know, everybody's going, oh, the real estate values are dropping here in New York. I thought, oh, good, let them drop further, because then all those young people who would love to come to Broadway can come and afford to find a place to live, which they haven't been able to do for a long time. And a lot of talent hasn't come to this city. Mm-hmm. It's been going to cities like Chicago and other places where, with a lower entrance barrier, if you will.
5: That brings up an interesting point.
6: Yes.
5: Is And I'd like to ask Bernard Jacobson, is the theater to any extent recession-proof. I'll, I'll follow that by saying that growing up in the Depression was one of the — that was the golden age of the American theater, the 30s, during the Great Depression. But it, what 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 impact have you noticed that this recession depression has had on theater?
0: Well, in, in my opinion, that uh, first place, I think that theater is not necessarily adversely affected by recession, because Compared to other methods of spending your money in order to provide you with entertainment or enjoyment or amusement, I still think theatre is relatively cheap. So I don't think that uh, theatre is affected by uh, by depression. But of course, uh, <clears throat> like everything else, uh, if if there is a recession, uh, there's going to be a, there's going to be less capital in order to uh, produce plays and uh, theatre will scrounge for it. But uh, I do believe that, that people will go to see good plays, good musicals, good comedies, and they will not go to see those that they do not perceive to be good. I think Oscar Hammerstein is reported to have said the number of people who will not go to a, see a play they don't want to see is unlimited. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that that We're about now sums it up.
1: we this over to questions, and I know that there are a lot of them, so please start. Hi, She's
4: this a- is open to the panel. Um, my question is: Why are there still so few females that are producers?
2: No. Bernie, me? Sure. <laughs> well. <clears throat>
1: Well, There's silence on uh, <laughs> No, no. no, no. <laughs> Obviously, as, as really a matter of fact, matter an fact
2: I
0: think there are a considerable number of female producers, and certainly it is a it is an area where uh, uh, where there's no bias in any way inhibiting anybody from becoming a producer. All you have to do is open up an office and uh, and acquire a script, it and, and you're a producer.
6: Money.
3: Get the money. That's I think so I you started it. <laughs> right. on. <you're> yeah.
4: <laughs> All Hi, this is, is for Stewart. Could you it.
6: please uh, clarify who's on the house payroll versus who's on the production payroll?
3: Sure. Uh, the actors are on the, the production payroll, the um, stage managers, uh, company manager, press agent, general manager, um, the, what we call the production crew who hold pink contracts, who are the people <coughs> right. needed in addition to the house crew. Um, in the case of our show, we have Two people on production. Uh, We we have two production crew, an electrician and a sound operator, um, in addition to the house heads. Um, The other people who are run through payroll are the royalty participants, the author, the director, and so on from our office. Mm -hmm. The house payroll is the house crew, the house manager, the ushers, the treasurers, uh, the stage doorman, the janitor, the engineers. Thank you. You're welcome.
4: Yes. Hello.
6: Um, This is for Mr. Brown and Mr. Jacobs. I'd like to know where you find new plays. Do you have scouts? Do they come only through agents? Obviously, you can't go to the theater every night and look. Well, in my experience,
5: they they come uh, they come through agents, and you also hear about plays because of readings of plays, particularly here in New York. That's the first Mm -hmm. indication I've had about this. The, the, you hear about them, they're being read. Do
1: and, you go uh, to readings then? Absolutely. If you, if someone tells, someone usually you tells you to
5: get down and hear this, or you get constant invitations and you have to sift them out to hear plays and read them. And the uh, the, word, the word gets out uh, about whether a play is good or not. And, and if you have the patience, you read some unsolicited plays, although lawyers tell you never to do that. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Do you have a, 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 a script of staff to reading? We have readers? lots of
0: people that read plays. I read a lot of plays myself, too, as does Jerry and does Phil Smith. But uh, we do not accept plays from unauthorized sources. In other words, we don't accept plays from agents. Uh, we see lots of plays. We go all over the country looking at plays that are produced in all kinds of venues. And we're usually aware of everything that's going on. Out of, that, out of that come the few plays of the successful. Mm-hmm.
3: Thank
0: you. My question is for the
2: panel. Where are new producers coming from? What avenues are open to young people who might be interested in becoming producers? Are there apprentice programs, training programs in the universities that you're connected with, perhaps?
5: Thank uh, This comes up often. It comes up in films. They're really, in my experience, there are no training programs. This is not an executive job. this is a this is a job for an entrepreneur. This is somebody who's born with a flair. He may he or she or she may be an usher, someone with a dream of being in the theater and as Mr. Jacobs have said, you don't even have to open an office. you have to find a play and you have to persuade people to read it. you have to be able to raise the money for it and it Everybody has a different way of doing it, but there is no. This is true of film producers. They're people with endless determination, incredible insensitivity to rejection, and uh, and and a, a, also a, a study of the theater, a study of plays, a knowledge, something, and and they're there to be read in the public library. They're there to be seen at the cut rate uh, ticket. Uh, you can go out and see plays, and you have to know your business, and then decide to be one. You don't get paid until the play is on, and you've raised the money, and you've recouped it.
0: If, if I
5: may, just may Mr. Answer Jerry? answer
0: to that, too. Jerry and I have been to conducting classes at Yale and at Columbia, which is basically on the business of the theater. And, uh, and we believe, and I see out there very often, uh, lots of uh, would-be producers and would-be managers mm-hmm and managers and people all over the country who were our students. Are you developing people to continue the Schubert Organization? Uh, we, we believe we have people. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. George, this, uh, doesn't this touch <clears throat> upon some of the things that you do, the, the O'Neill, on training? And Did you take in training for producers as well? Other than what David has said is knowledge and instinct. Knowledge I think seems to be the most important thing there. But
2: what else? Well, we we do try at the O'Neill Center not only to develop, obviously, playwrights and and people who write musicals, and teams that write musicals, but also in our training program for students, we do try to uh, indicate that there's more to life than just acting, and that that people who have the entrepreneurial instinct, uh, even as young people, uh, that can be harnessed uh, to go on. And we do do that at our National Theatre Institute. And then I pick them up at, at Yale, like Linda.
6: Yes. yes. I Linda, Linda was a student of mine, These yeah. are two of my and students. mine, yes, we professors have two here. I don't have to raise my hand for them anymore, though. <laughs> no. My question is for Mr. Jacobs and for Mr. Brown. Um, in, an, in an age now where you have Producer X not only dropping helicopters but chandeliers on his audience, can we please discuss the Broadway Alliance, um, what it is and whether or not you believe it'll work to bring uh, Broadway production costs and Broadway ticket prices down to a more of an affordable level?
5: Mr. Jacobs is the authority on that. What
1: is the Broadway Alliance? I think the that's Broadway
5: a- Alliance is a
0: program of, under which various unions have agreed to cooperate to reduce uh, their costs, and producers have agreed to uh, produce plays at, uh, at lower budgets and to charge lower, uh, lower admission fees, lower admission prices. Uh, So far, uh, I think you should check with the league and see how many plays are going to be produced under that program, and uh, the answer really is that if you have a play which you perceive to be a hit, why are you going to do it under the restrictions of the Broadway Alliance? Why are you going to agree to charge $25 a ticket in the $45 market? You're only going to do it if you feel that you, if you have grave doubts about your play, no, no likelihood, or you can't raise the money. And in my, in my experience, if you have something which is potentially a hit, you never have much trouble raising the money. But we'll see what happens with the Broadway Theatre Alliance. We all hope it works. Will that go I into effect
1: works. next season? Is that 1991? It'll start with this it's season. starting now. Is there any, any theatre that has booked? People.
0: None of our, our theatre's been booked. I think there's a Drew theatre that's booked.
3: I'm working on one that Robert Whitehead is producing, planning to produce under the Broadway Alliance. It's a play called Speed of Darkness by,
0: mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: excuse me, Steve Tessich. It was done at the Goodman a couple of years ago, and Bob Whitehead's planning to bring it to Broadway this season under the,
4: I, I, under I the Broadway
3: Alliance.
4: I think so. Thank you. Thank you. Next. Hi, yes, this is a question for the panel. Um, How does one go about finding situations or training programs for people that are interested in working in uh, theatre management or theatre production? Um, I think Stewart.
2: Well, I I guess I I will pick that up with another hat that I wear as as co-chairing the program at Yale. Um, There is an alliance. Uh, which can be uh, you can write to yale and columbia have, have programs but they're all over the country in arts administration out of which sometimes uh, often come produces we have them at the o'neill center there is a book uh and there's an association as there is almost in everything of uh of managers or management programs in the arts that is available and uh I'll, I'll tell you that after the <laughs> panel, we can, we can sit down, I'll give you the exact address. But they do exist with all of the arts uh, programs around the country uh, and well, there are many, many, many important. universities.
4: Thank you. I think we have time for just one more question. Uh, this is to the panel at large. How many projects can you tackle or can you be working on at any given time?
5: Many, wow. in my well, opinion, start, as many as you we can find. Why do start with Linda and we'll go all, Linda. all the way around?
1: What, uh, uh, what does the agency handle? How
6: many? The agency handles a lot. Uh, as an individual account person, you could probably handle maybe two big mu- two musicals and a couple of plays, but that would require a lot of backup because this is very labor intensive. A lot of a lot of uh, a lot of work goes into it. Um,
5: I misinterpreted s- the question. I thought you meant how many projects could a producer handle at once that's not what Well, would be to int-
4: anybody in whatever your capacity. Mm.
5: Oh, well, as, there are so few things that really excite one in this world as time goes on that uh, <laughs> we'll take everything we can get that's good. Jean, mm-hmm. what I, about you? You
3: Well,
4: <clears throat> I used to handle six plays, which was as many as a union would allow you to handle, with a lot of assistance, of course, mm. and about 25 different uh, individual artists in my publicity management business and producing. Exactly. That's the Schubert's was, uh,
1: are pretty much in that yeah. category, too, aren't you, You handle. them well,
0: we, we must produce six, seven plays a year. But of course, it all depends upon the amount of effort and money each product, project requires. I mean, it's, uh, it's just as difficult to produce one uh, Miss Saigon for $11 million as it is to produce uh, 10 or 12 plays. It's a big business. Mm, Thank you. About you as the manager, just
1: very, very much. Uh, I'm sorry this happens all the time. Where I just have to say, forgive me for interrupting you. You are more than a few good men behind you. Stand so much knowledge and so much care about the theater. I'm terribly grateful to you for being here. You know, the American Theatre Wing is a service organization and this is just one more program. And these seminars are going to universities across the country. I'm Isabel Stevenson, I'm president of the American Theatre Wing and I thank you all for being here. Thank you very much. (laughs)
4: Agency of Supreme and the right guy next to me, I have an agreement right next to me. I have and, I see, and the producer, and that's been the producers.